good morning, so I'm watching myself aware of my lockdown hairstyle. But anyway, we are in a series looking at the life of David and what does that mean in the lens of Jesus today? What does that story through the life of Jesus mean for us in the 21st centuries amidst lockdown? And it's looking at the life of David in terms of his repentant heart. And we've already heard from folk in our gathering the need to repent, the prayers of repentance. As we consider racial injustice, I individually, us as a church, us as a society need to be repentant for the ignorance, for the times we've overlooked or turned a blind eye, for the discrimination, for the injustice that has prevailed because of our inaction. What does it mean for us to be people of repentance? And when we look to the New Testament, we realise that repentance is absolutely at the heart of Scripture. It's the absolute core, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And the New Testament uses the word repentance, which literally means to turn direction. Soldiers would have used this term to instruct their soldiers to go in a new direction, to turn 180. So when we come to Jesus individually and corporately, we repent and allow our hearts and minds and directions to be changed in a new way because of Jesus' grace, because of his forgiveness of our sins. Repentance is absolutely at the heart of the good news. The life of Jesus was there to bring us forgiveness of our sins so we could repent and have eternal life with him. We need to be people who repeatedly repent of our sins individually and collectively. So let's look to Psalm 51, which is a psalm written by David. And it was soon after his huge moral collapse. At the height of his fame and success, he raped Bathsheba, horrendous to hear of his horrendous sin. And then he had Uriah murdered to cover up the sin. It's horrible to read, it's horrible to hear, but this is his psalm, his song of repentance this big, monumental moral failure. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressions your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, and you are God my saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You can see, can't you, throughout this psalm, how he's repentant, how he just longs to be back in relationship with God. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. 
May it please you to prosper Zion, to build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings, offered whole, then bowls will be offered on your altar. And to really quickly pray for us. Lord, as we look at this scripture, I pray that every individual who watches it will be touched by the power of your word and in the power of your spirit. I pray that you would encounter lives this morning. Amen. So we know briefly, don't you, we from the last few weeks, the story of David. We know that Saul handed over the baton to David, this shepherd boy who rose to fame, who had this great rise to success. He was the giant killer who, from out of nowhere, the youngest of the brothers killed Goliath with the catapult. We know that he was a worshipper from Zach. We know that he was growing in his fame and success, was now revered and celebrated and was at the height of his fame and success. He was king over all the land. What a instrumental and influential life he was leading. This is David at his height. And then, like we see so often, at the height of his success, the moral collapse, the lures of sex and power are just so evident. He was on the top of a platform and this was metaphorical and physical. He was at the top of the city looking down at the different settlements, the different places of life and business across the city. He could look down because he was at the peak of the city and he sees this lady who is beautiful. And then we read elsewhere that he did the unthinkable. He raped her. And then to cover this up, he murdered her husband, he sent him to the front line to be killed. And as we look at this passage, we want to speak to a few groups this morning. Firstly, if this is raw and hard for you because you feel shame, because abuse, because you read this and you feel that you have been hurt and damaged and manipulated because of abuse of power or the abuse of sex, we are so sorry. And we want to empathise with you. There'll be prayer available at the end. We want to stand with you. That's not okay to abuse a power like this we read this morning. We're sorry to hear that. And we hope that this will be handled sensitively for you this morning. The second group of people is that you might be feeling like David. You might have even committed what society deems as the most horrendous sin. You might have murdered someone, perhaps, or raped someone, and you feel completely ostracised as we look to the story of David, as we look in the eyes of society what condemns this horrendous act. But what's very obvious throughout Scripture, throughout the life of Jesus, is that we're not here to judge God does the judging and his grace is always sufficient. No matter what we've done, we're never too far from Jesus. If you felt judged or condemned or not good enough for church, then we're sorry because that is not the good news. The good news is available to all of us. As Van Buren famously said, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. Everyone is welcome. And equally, if you're reading this and thinking, well, I haven't murdered someone or done something as horrendous as what we read in this story, then I'm okay. Well, actually, we want to say that scripture makes it clear that all have sinned, all need repentance. 
all of us need to come to restore our relationship with Jesus, to be in a right relationship with Jesus. We want to look what it means for us to be people of repentance, people of righteousness. And we see in this psalm that Dave, David names and acknowledges his sin. After a period of running, he confesses. We see a genuine confession to God. We have to name and acknowledge the sin. And the truth is we have a funny relationship with sin, don't we? It's not really a term we'd use in society. And the danger is we think it's out of fashion or we explain it away or we justify what we've done. Or equally, we might have been known as a church or our impression of a church is the church is constantly just whacking one over over the head and saying, stop it, turn and turn from horrendous sin and feeling judged and condemned. Sin is real. We need to own and name our sin, not to condemn one another, but to know the true beauty of forgiveness and love of Jesus. Understanding the extent of our sin helps us understand the extent of the incredible grace of God's love. God's love and his grace is always more sufficient and more grasp, more than we could grasp. It always is there for us, no matter what we've done. But David recognised he sinned and he says that he sinned against God, verse 4. You see, a sin can be private, but it's never solely personal. It always affects others. It always affects our relationship with one another, how we interact with one another, how we perceive one another. It's never solely personal and it always offends God. Our sin can be so damaging for others, but it also is so damaging and offensive to God until we bring it to him in repentance. And David says, I'm sinful from birth. And it's not that we're born sinful or evil. We're made in God's image. We're made good. And it's our choice and responsibility whether we sin. It's not taking that responsibility away from us. We need to name and own sin and take responsibility for it. We have to have full ownership of our sin. In this psalm, we see that David fully embraces the fact that he has sinned. He doesn't try and project it on others or blame Bathsheba. There's a genuine repentance in this psalm. But we have to recognise that we are people of sin. It says all have sinned. And there's only one person who lived without sin, and that was Jesus. We are broken people who need a saviour. And we see that David sins when he's weak, vulnerable and tired. At the height of his success, his, the epitome of his fame, the epitome of his success, he was doing such a great job. He was respected by so many. He was rich. He was wealthy. He was powerful. And then this major moral collapse. He had everything. He'd just been given a messianic promise that the line of Jesus would be in his ancestry. And a warning to all of us that in our greatest moments of success, we're potentially most vulnerable. It's also a warning because he was having a year off from battle after fighting in battle for years. He had a year off and was resting. And so often when we rest, we recognise that we're more vulnerable. And as we look to ourselves, what are our traps during lockdown? What are our weaknesses? When we have more time on our own, perhaps, or more time in isolation, the porn or greed or gossip become more real because we have more time to reflect because we're weak and tired and vulnerable. Beware of those little foxes, the small changes in our lifestyles that can allow temptation to break out and win. For me, I've recognised over the last few weeks that at times I've got more bitter and more angry 
I haven't had the same interactions with others. I've been tired and grumpy and I inwardly can get bitter. I have to bring that towards God. Also, just to make it real and accessible, I realised in the first few weeks of lockdown, I was drinking alcohol every night. Was it out of control? No. But I had to discipline that to weekends to recognise that actually for me personally, I was nervous about it spiralling and getting out of control. What are the areas of weakness that our sin matters, engaging with this stuff matters? Where do we need to not only confess stuff, but make an active response in our life? How do we break this cycle? You see, we see with David that he spotted a beautiful woman. And apparently there are beautiful women out there other than my wife. But what does it mean for us to break that cycle? He spots her and then he sends for her. And then he speaks to her and engages with her. And then he sleeps with her and rapes her. And then he is worried about how to get away with it. So he sends Uriah out there on the front line to get killed. What happens when he spots a beautiful woman escalates to rape and murder? It spirals so quickly out of control. We need to cut it at the first stage. What does it look like to take sin seriously and to stop it at the outset? To use a simple illustration, I often used to tell young people when I worked with young people that when you think about eating ice cream now, let's be clear about this, this is a trivial example. But if we're eating ice cream and if we imagine that is the wrong thing to eat lots of ice cream, then the first step is to want an ice cream and to go to a freezer. Then we open the freezer door. Then we get the f- ice creams out. We look at them. We unpack them. We sniff them. We lick them. We eat them. We suddenly find we've eaten six ice creams. Of course, that's a silly example. But the reason I share that is because at different stages, we can break it off. We can go to the freezer and then think, actually, no, I'll step back. We can get the ice cream out of the freezer and think, actually, no, no, I'm putting it back. We can take a lick of the ice cream and it's not ideal, but we can say, no, 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 actually, I want to turn away. For different sins for each of us, there's different temptations, but different points. We have to say, I'm going to actively run. I'm going to actively walk away from this. Sin matters. Sin is offensive to others and to God. We have to actively turn against it. But the good news is that when we do sin, we can come to God for full forgiveness. David comes to God with his sacrifice. And we see in verse 17 very clearly that the most important thing is that his heart is right with God. He's sinned. He's done these atrocious things in the eyes of others, in the eyes of society. But he comes before God with his sacrifice and he comes to repent before God. The important thing is that his heart is right. I mean, imagine hypothetically that I upset my wife. Don't think it's ever happened. But then the way I dealt with that is to run to Morrison's and to get a discounted bouquet of flowers with a label still on. I mean, completely hypothetical, it would never happen, and gave them to her without saying sorry. Knowing my wife, she'd be angry, or perhaps she was angry. But because it's not about the change of heart, it's about the sacrifice and what David is seeing with his relationship with God is that God isn't interested in the pomp or the hype. David initially wanted to fix it with a big show, but God wants his heart. It's not about the sacrifice. It's not about trying to rationalise it or explain it away in our modern times. In a quick fix culture, we want to try and justify our sin or 
do something to accommodate it. No, but we have to take full responsibility and recognize the full repentance that is required, the change of heart from within. It's about the sacrifice, which is Jesus dying on a cross for us. God wasn't interested in the physical sacrifice of David without a repentant heart. We come with a repentant heart and our sins are forgiven. Our hearts are changed. Our situations are transformed because of God's presence. David wants to be restored to God's presence, it says. He wants to know the joy of a salvation. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross meant that he was forgiven and restored no matter what he'd done. And the same is true for us. He atones for our sins. His sacrifice is enough. His blood was shed in our place. He forgives our sins and the slate is completely wiped clean. The reason he's a sacrifice is because he's the one man who lived the perfect and blameless life. Jesus died on the cross so that no matter what we've done, our sins are forgiven and our relationship with him is restored. God's grace is always sufficient. At the start of this psalm in verse one, we read about God's unfailing mercy and his love that comes through to redeem us, to restore us, to have a relationship with God. And then in verse two, it says it washes us and cleanses us. And we're allowed to have freedom from our sins and the guilt and the shame associated with it because of his love flowing through us. Verse seven talks about the fact that the hyssop was there to cleanse us and that links to the fact that in the days of David the leper was seen to be free and clean and acceptable in society because the hyssop branch was there to cleanse cleanse him and of course the blood of Jesus replaces that the blood of Jesus now cleans us and restores us and frees us to be in full relationship with God and to be fully cleansed and restored because of God's unfailing mercy and because of his love we are free we are restored I've been thinking a lot about this recently and the danger is that when there's dirt and mess in our lives, we want to try and push it out. We want to try and force it out. I've got this very lame visual during lockdown, but hopefully it just helps. But we could try and push the, the sin out of our lives. We try and push the dirt out of our lives. But what God wants to do is we want to just allow his water of love, his love just to flow through us. I did indeed get quite wet then, but he wants his love just to flow through us and to restore and cleanse, to forgive, to make us whole. It's his love that comes through us. It's not about us trying to force out jealousy or us trying to force out our sins or our overindulgence of Netflix, whatever it is, the stuff we want to get rid of in our lives. It's about the fact that his love flows through us. His love cleanses us. His love drives out the things that aren't of us. We come to him and say, God, have your way. Cleanse me with your unfailing mercy, with your love. Wash and cleanse and restore me. It's about God's love flushing out the dirt and the sin and the pain and the hurt of our lives. We've read quite simply in this psalm that we come to Jesus as sinners. We're broken, messed up hurting individuals and we all need to come to him for redemption for cleansing for wholeness for healing but equally he always restores when our hearts open to him he always forgives he always cleanses he always allows the work on the cross to fully make us right and whole before god john wesley famously said i know two things 
that I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. We know that we all fall short, all fall short. We are all broken. We all hurt one another. We all get it wrong. We all miss the mark so frequently. Every day we make mistakes. But equally, we know that Christ is a great saviour. We know that he is good, that he lived, died and rose again so that we can have a eternal relationship with him. So that our sins, our brokenness, our mess can be laid at the foot of the cross. So that our hearts can be right before God, so that we can be made fully whole and complete in relationship with him. That is the good news. That's the gospel. That's the incredible hope we have in Jesus. We repent and we turn back to God, it completely changes the way we live. When we come to him in worship and adoration and repentance, it completely takes us in a new direction, individually and as a church. David intentionally fathered his child well because of the circumstances. Jesus was born in the line of a baby of David and Bathsheba. And then Jesus was put on a cross by people who killed this innocent man. What was intended to be evil by the people around him turned to be the greatest gift in history. God can so often use our pains and struggles for his good if we turn to him with repentant hearts, if we change directions, if we say, God, have your way in me, overwhelm me with your love and grace. I'm forgiven and restored because of what you did on the cross. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us this morning would know forgiveness of our sins, with no redemption, with no wholeness because of what you've done on the cross. I pray that whether we've heard this many times or whether this is the first time, that our lives will be changed for good because of our repentant hearts this morning, but individually and collectively that we would be people of repentance, people who'd get on our knees before you and know your love and grace flow through us. Amen.